we sang in the, the second song that we sang this morning, the chorus sung, you are our song from age to age. Our voices unite to recount your praise again and again. From age to age, he is our song. He is the one that we worship. He's the one that we praise. I'm thinking of, of what we celebrate on, on this morning as far as Palm Sunday. But as they were there with palm branches and he's riding down and, and going towards Jerusalem on that, that colt, that foal of a, of a donkey, and they're, and, they're, and they're in a place of, of palm branches waving and saying, Hosanna in the highest. I want us to take this back from age to age, several ages, to go and look at a picture of what's taking place in the life of Abraham. A picture of, of what took place on Palm Sunday, what was about to take place in that final week in the life of Christ, and go back, not, not 100 years, not 200 years, not 300 years, but over two millenniums. Which is radical when you think about that. When you think of, here, we're celebrating Palm Sunday over 2,000 years later, but then going back 4,000 years, and looking at our God, looking at a God who's there and, and seeing the people. We know what was taking place in that age. It was similar to what takes place today. I mean, in the life of Abraham, you have the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we see what took place in Sodom at that time and what was occurring, the kind of sins that were occurring. And I'm sure that for most of us, there's times where we look at today and think there's so many similarities between the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, and what we see today. And at that particular time, we're going we're to camp primarily in Genesis 22, but if you want to go back with me to Genesis 11, we'll kind of start there and just do a little survey of, of what's taking place. So here's 4,000 years ago, approximately, somewhere in that neighborhood, and... God had worked miraculously in, in beginning to give promises to his people. Um, beginning, beginning to give promises of, of redemption that was going to come. But now, he comes to this man named Abram. And we're given a little, we're given a little bit of his lineage. And then towards the End of Genesis 11 and verse 29, it tells us that this man, his name's Abram, and his wife's name was Sarai. And verse 30 gives us this little information about them where it just tells us, but Sarai was barren, she had no child. So here's this, this couple, Abram, Sarai. And all we know is that they're there, they're living in a pagan culture, pagans themselves, more than likely. And this man has a wife and she's barren. She has no child. Then go ahead to chapter 12 in verse 1. The Lord comes and he says to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, 
and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And we, we just read this, but it's, it's, it's amazing when you think of what's taking place. God has come in and he's speaking to this man. The man hasn't done anything as far as worthwhile to where God's looking and saying, man, I need a guy like that. Nothing like that. He's just going about his life like, this is my wife, Sarai. I'm Abram. My name, my name means father that's exalted or father of many. That's, that's my name. And, and I don't know why my parents named me that. Everybody asks me when I say, like, you know, they say, what's your name? I'm Abram. Oh, how many kids do you have? None. And you can just imagine, oh, they, they, they snicker. It's a funny name for someone that doesn't have any kids. And he just goes through his life like this. It's 75 years goes by, and here's this man, and no kids. But that's his name. And God just tells him, okay, I, you're going to leave your country. He comes and he speaks to this man, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And it says, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make a nation of you. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because of you. And so God gives him promises. He speaks to him. He comes and speaks to him at very specific points in his life. And it's not something where this is a daily basis as far as like, okay, you know, let me give you an update on what's taking place. And, you know, there's nothing like that. There's years that go by, decades that go by, and there's nothing. So he gets this promise and I'm sure he went to Sarai like, I got great news. God spoke to me. This is what he said. We're leaving. We're leaving everything that we know. We're leaving because this is what he said. In chapter 13, in verse 14, it tells us that, that he's there and, and Lot has separated from him. He's got wealth because his flocks have been multiplied but then God comes to him and says lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are northward southward eastward and westward for all the land which you see I'll give to you and your descendants forever and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could number the dust of the earth then your descendants also could be numbered Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Look, look as far as you can see. Just look in every direction, all of it. It's all yours. And your descendants, like the dust of the earth. If you could number the dust, that's what your descendants are going to be like. Now let's just move ahead to chapter 15. So the Lord comes to Abram again. Lots happened. A lot, a lot has occurred since chapter 13. Now we come to chapter 15. God comes to him. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And I get this picture, Abram. He's here again. 
I heard his voice. I got questions. I mean, there's been so many questions that I've had this whole time. He gives me promises, but then I don't see nothing. He keeps giving me these promises, and I'm blessed, but he talks about these descendants that are going to come from me, and I don't see anything. He's here again. And so immediately, Abram responds by saying, Lord God, what will you give me? Seen I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram says, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And he, then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and it was accounted, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abram believes. Go look at the stars. So shall your descendants be. Look at the stars. Count them if you can. That's what your descendants are going to be like. It's not going to be the one that's come from your household. It's not going to be a slave. It's not going to be one of your servants. No, there's, there's one coming from you. You're going to have a child. And Abram believes him. Well, we find that Straight from there. Abram wants more evidence as far as the land that you're going to give me, these covenants that you're making. And God says to him in verse 7, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you, to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I'll inherit it? Like you give me promises, but how do I... How do I know that it's going to happen? You give me promises of kids. You give me promises of land. But how do I know? I, you go dark for a while. <laughs> I don't hear from you. And then, and then you're here again and you make promises to me. But how will I know that this happens? And God says to him in verse 9, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. Takes these animals and just cuts them in half. Boom. One after another. It must have been just a, a horrific scene, if you could picture it. Like, just animals cut in two, one on each side, and there's blood everywhere, and you look, and there's... This is what they did as far as within the vassal treaties at that particular time. Two kings would walk through together in between these animals that are cut in two. And they'd walk through just saying, okay, if we break the covenant, may the same thing happen to us as what's happened to these animals. We're making a covenant together, and this is what's going to happen. Let's walk through. It's a promise. Well, we're told in, in verse 12 that When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And and we're told in in verse 17, it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch was passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made the covenant, made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants, I will give this land. God has him fall into a deep sleep. God passes through. God passes through without Abram. 
The radical thing about this is he's passing through saying, you're going to fall asleep. You're going to be in a place of, of anguish. You're going to be in a place of horror and great darkness. And I am going to go through all by myself. And the reason why is because I'm a covenant keeper. You're a covenant breaker. You can't do it. So if this is going to work, if these covenants are going to work, then I need to do it by myself. Because I'm the one that keeps covenants. You don't. We don't walk together. If I don't keep this covenant with you, may the same thing happen to me that happened to these animals. Because I will keep my covenants to my people. When I say something's going to take place, it will take place. That's a God that we serve. And so, in chapter 16, there's Sarai, Abram's wife, and she still has no children. And we see that she takes Hagar, her maidservant, and tells Abram to take her, have a child with her. It's radical, I mean, as far as this, what must have been taking place in the minds of Abram and Sarai to, to bring her to the place of, God's made you these promises, but maybe, maybe we're going about it wrong. Maybe, maybe he wants us to do our part in this. He's given us promises of you being a father, but I'm not the one that's producing children. So take my handmaiden. Take her and have a child with her. And so he says, okay, he takes her and they have Ishmael. And when you watch this occur, All of that was man trying to do something on his own, a work of the flesh, his own ability to do things, not trusting in the promises of God, but saying, by my own works, by my own cleverness, by my own abilities, I'll make this thing happen, and so they have a child. And lots of problems come with that. He's 86 years old when Hagar has Ishmael. 86 years old. So now, time goes by. He has a child from 86 to 99 years old. And over these, over these years, now his son's a teenager, he's looking at this thinking, our plan worked. We have a child. This is the way that God wanted it to happen. And it seems like our own efforts have just made this occur. But in chapter 17, Abram's 99 years old and the Lord appears to him again. And he says, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I'll make my covenant between me and you and multiply you exceedingly. And then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you, your, to you and your descendants after you the land which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God. It's just like, God's coming just like, everlasting covenant descendants are going to come from you nations will come from you everybody's going to be blessed as a result of you you're 99 years old you got bill acton beat by four years 
You're in a place where I'm going to do just radical things in your life. In verse 18 and verse 10, God says to him, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the door, in the tent door, which was behind him. And now Abraham and, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure being Lord, by my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, surely, or saying Shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Why'd she laugh? In Genesis 21, verse 5, it says, Now Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born to him. 100 years old. This is the child of promise. This is the one that they said would come. Child of promise would come. 100 years old. And now Isaac's born. I bring up the history because you, you, you have to look at it to be able to see God just working miraculously. A hundred years old. Sarah, way beyond the years of, of being able to have children. But she does. It's a miracle. It's miraculous. This has occurred. Well, in chapter 22, it says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham says, Here I am. And God says to him, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Those words, to hear those words at this time, when he's been with Isaac now for years, it's not like he's a little kid anymore. He's grown up. And to hear God say, now, Take your son. And then to, to have the words recorded perfectly for us, to have it say, not only take now your son, but your only son. If he had just said, take your son, I think that Abram would have said, Ishmael. God wants me to do something. But God's very specific. Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Every part of this is a picture of Christ who is to come. Take your son, the one in whom is the seed, the one in whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed, the one who is a picture of Christ who is to come. Take him, your only son, whom you love Isaac and go to the land of Moriah 
verses come into our minds when we read just those words alone where we think of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? But we also may think of 2 Chronicles 3.1 where it tells us, Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to his father David. So 2 Chronicles, you go to 2 Chronicles and it tells us Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Now you start to look at this and you put it together and you, you see what he tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah. Go to that place. Go up on this mount, the one that I'm going to tell you. That's the mount that you're supposed to go to. Go to that one. And you start to put it together and you look at it and you say, okay, so Solomon builds his temple in the land of Moriah there on that mount there at Jerusalem. And you look and you say, where's Calvary? There in Jerusalem. And you start to put it together and you say, is this happening? Is God taking Abraham and saying, go up to this mount, the one exactly that I'm going to show you, the one that I'm going to show you, you're going to go to that place. And then 2,000 years later, I'm going to have my son be there on that same place, at that same place where you're to offer up your son. So Abraham, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose and went to the place of which God had told him. So he takes two men with him, and Isaac, his son. You can even picture the two men that are there next to Christ on the cross. But he goes, it tells us on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. On the third day. On the third day. Christ is crucified and he rises again on the the third day. So Abraham says to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Stay here. Stay here with the donkey We are going to go to worship, and then we'll come back. But Abraham knows everything that he's supposed to do. He's cut the wood. He's saddled the donkey. He's taken two servants. He's taken his son. They're on this journey. They're walking and going to this place three days. And anguish had to be going through Abraham the whole time. The idea of, I'm going to sacrifice my son? I'm going to put to death my son, my only son, the one that I love, Isaac. I'm going to offer him up to the Lord. But he says, you guys stay here. The son and I are going to go. You see, at the cross, it's the father and the son in whom are working this work to save us. There's darkness that falls over 
the earth from the sixth hour into the ninth hour, three hours. Darkness falls over the earth for those three hours as God the Father places all of the wrath that we deserved upon his son. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Hebrews tells us that Abraham, what he's thinking is, I'm going to put my son to death but I am fully confident that God could raise him from the dead. This idea of resurrection wasn't something that was a major part of the thinking in Old Testament times. But Abraham saying he could resurrect him. I mean, if God has made these promises to me and even had Sarah have this child, Isaac, at her age and at my age, it was a miracle. It's a miraculous birth, just as we see the miraculous birth with Christ, Right? but he could cause him to rise again from the dead. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. So can you picture it? He takes the wood for the burnt offering and he lays it on Isaac, his son. So you have them going up to Mount Moriah and Isaac is carrying the wood that is going to be the wood that gets ignited to kill him. It immediately brings us to a place of picturing Christ. John 19, verse 17, and he bearing his cross went out to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. You can picture Christ with his cross, bearing his cross as he's going to Calvary. And you can picture Isaac carrying the wood with him. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I'm carrying the wood. We have the fire. Hey, Dad, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? And Abraham says, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Hey, Isaac, son, there's this love relationship that's there. Son, God will provide for himself the lamb. He'll provide it. So they go together. 
They came, verse 9, then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now, no, Abraham's in no place to overpower his son. Son's grown. Abraham's old. But you see this willingness of Isaac. Dad, if you tell me to do it, I'll do it. There's not just a little bit of anguish going on in Abraham right now, or even in Isaac. It's like waves of anguish coming upon him. Both of them. Building the altar, laying down the wood, binding his son so his son can't get away, putting him there upon the wood. To the point where Abraham stretches out his hand and takes the knife to slay his son. He's at that place where the knife is up and he's coming down to kill his son before he consumes his son in the fire. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham responds, here I am. I mean, you can just get this idea of, thank you. He's just about ready to drive the knife into his son, to kill his son. And the angel of the Lord calls from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And God says to him here, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Don't lay your hand on the lad. Don't do anything to him. Don't hurt him in any way right now. Those had to be some of the sweetest words imaginable for Abraham. Don't hurt him. Don't lay a hand on him. Don't do anything to him. So Abraham lifts up his eyes and he looks. And there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Notice those words. Instead of his son. He looks up, and there the sacrifice is, caught there in the thicket. The ram is there. How thankful do you think Abraham was to see that ram caught there in the thicket? The joy in that man's heart must have just been ecstatic as far as I walked this journey three days. I came up here. I had every intent on obeying my Lord, my God, 
in giving up the most precious possession ever to me, and that is my son, the son of promise, the one that you told me would come, the one that was born miraculously, the one in whom all the earth would be blessed from him and, 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 and nations would come from him. That one, I was going to slay him with my knife and burn him in the fire, and now I look up, and there is the sacrifice there in the thicket. It's there, and he takes that animal, and he slaughters that animal. Instead of his son. Think of the son, Isaac, seeing dead dad. Dad, what are you doing? Dad, I can't move. I'm tied up. If I could move, I'd move. And then hearing the voice, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Don't lay a hand on him. And they look up, and there's the sacrifice. It's there. God provided it for them. They're caught in the thicket is the ram to be sacrificed. Instead, instead of his son, a substitute. Isaac, also a sinner, deserved to have wrath come upon him. But instead, God provided the sacrifice. Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. And it says, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Let's just stop and look at the way the Holy Spirit inspired this to be written. So Abraham says, there is... That ram caught in the thicket, God provides. God provides. He provides everything that we need. I didn't need to offer up my son. God provided the lamb. We both were able to go back home. We both were able to do this. God provided the sacrifice for it. And so from now on, this is something that we will say. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Why does it say it future tense? It doesn't say, from that point on, they all said, in the mount of the Lord, it was provided. They don't say that. From that point on, everybody said, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. He is providing. He is going to provide. He is going to bring the substitute. He will probably provide for himself a lamb. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And then you picture Christ, Palm Sunday. Just before Passover, Jesus is on a colt, the foal of a donkey, and he is walking up to Jerusalem to be crucified, to the mount to be crucified. Along with him at that time, they would have needed to bring their lambs to bring to Jerusalem to be inspected, to be known that these lambs are without spot or without blemish. So along with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, we're told, by Josephus, we're told that it was, numbers were up to 250,000 sheep, lambs, going up to Jerusalem around that same time, maybe even that same day. Many argue that it's the exact same day. So you could picture Jesus walking, Hundreds of thousands of lambs 
also walking. Going to the mound in which God is going to provide the sacrifice. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide the lamb. You picture the words of John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A Lamb without spot, without blemish. And so you, you go back 4,000 years. You go back 4,000 years and you see Abraham offering up Isaac and God says, Stop. On this mount... The mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And then you, you picture the joy in the hearts of Abraham and the joy in the heart of Isaac, seeing the lamb that's provided, the ram that's provided. But then you go 2,000 years later to see Christ there walking up to Jerusalem. A lamb without spot, without blemish, without any such thing. On the mount Lord, it shall be provided. And he provides himself a lamb. A lamb that would forever satisfy the penalty for our sins. He provides a lamb, the lamb of God, the precious lamb of God, without spot, without blemish, without any such thing. His own son, his only son, whom he loves, And he does not stop. No one says to stop. They're saying, crucify him, crucify him. And what does God do? God takes all the wrath that we deserve and places upon his son, his only son, whom he loves. There on that mount, there in the land of Moriah, on the Mount Moriah, there it is that God the Father, 2,000 years later, gives us his son. Born miraculously from the Virgin Mary, Bearing his cross as he walks up that same mount. So that you and I could be here 4,000 years later saying, God will provide himself a lamb. He will provide himself a lamb. He will be the sacrifice for us. He will give us his only begotten son. So that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He will provide himself a lamb. Awesome. And that is what took place. And so we sing, you are our song. From age to age. Our voices unite to recount your praise. Again and again. 4,000 years ago, Abraham and Isaac... We're praising you that you provided the lamb. 2,000 years later, approximately, the greatest moment in history, Christ became sin for us. God gave us his only begotten son. And now on this Palm Sunday, from age to age, we continue to have our voices unite to recount his praise again and again. We continue to praise him.
to the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And it was. We now look back and say, on the mount of the Lord, it was provided. It was. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. What an incredible picture of what we celebrate this week given to us 4,000 years ago. Let's pray together. Lord God, um, the joy that was in Abraham's heart, the joy that was in Isaac's heart, to see the the ram caught there in the thicket that would be sacrificed instead of the son. The way they must have talked about it, God provided a sacrifice. He provided a sacrifice. The smiles, the joy, the praise. May that be in our hearts on this morning. Praise that just says he provided the sacrifice instead of us spending eternity in hell. He provided the sacrifice so that our sins could be washed away and we could have the very righteousness of Christ placed upon our account. He provided the sacrifice. He did everything. The Lord will provide. He provided everything so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The free gift of salvation that comes through faith in your son. May the joy of Abraham and Isaac be mirrored in the joy of us this morning exponentially as we see not a ram caught in the thicket, but we see the Son of God crucified on our behalf. And may that joy just overflow in our hearts, come forth from our mouths throughout the entirety of this week as we praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.